0: Well, if you, you may you may not remember, but uh, if if you were here last summer, you you might remember that uh, we were working on First uh, John. Um, we were going through the book of First John, primarily because uh, I didn't want to do it. Um, but you know, we have uh, I, I write sermons together with my buddy Mike in Minnesota, and his associate pastor uh, Chad found out that uh, I had written a commentary on First uh, John and Second John and Third John. And so he was like, "Well, you seem—you probably know what you're talking about. We should do that." And I was like, "I have spent three years on that thing. I don't want to look at First John ever again in my life." But he was right, and it turned out uh, it was actually really good. But we didn't finish it, and so um, we're gonna—we're gonna finish it this summer. It's gonna, so from here on out until about Labor Day, we're gonna be working through uh, First John. Um, but I wanted to catch us up. On where we uh, where we left off, what, what we with the story so far is where. So some of us weren't here. Uh, oh, there it is. Um, so no one buys it. So occasionally Amazon will like drop the price down to like seven dollars, and so I purchased four yesterday for twenty eight, and then I look back later and they jumped it back up to thirty bucks. So go ahead, do the right thing um, and purchase you know a bunch of copies, because how else am I going to get a Tesla? And. Um, <laughs> And it's not just that I need a Tesla, so it's for everyone else on the road, because I'm constantly reading my phone while I'm driving. And so, you know, do the, do the thing for safety for others, and uh, purchase a lot of copies of my book. No, but seriously, if you, if you do want to catch up and kind of see where we're at, uh, you can check out um, my book. Uh, we, we're basing our sermons off of um, those, those vignettes. And uh, so, yes, you can do that. Uh, but I wanted to bring us back uh, to where we are, catch you up, get a bird's eye view of what John uh, has done in the first three chapters. And so we're just going to take some snippets and I'll, and I'll bring you along and then uh, hopefully by the end of today we'll have a good sense of where we are and then we'll be ready to move forward. So uh, let's take a look. This is uh, the first chapter of First John. Um, notice what John says. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, purify us from all unrighteousness. The reason that John has to say this is because in every culture and at every time there are people who believe that they are basically without sin. They're, they're, they're essentially perfect, or at least so good that it doesn't really make a difference, right? In, in, in U.S. history, uh, the Puritans in, North, in, uh, in, in New England in the, the 17th and 18th centuries were like this. They, they had these lists to show just how holy they were, the things that they did to prove that they were basically right with God because of how they acted, well, John says that's not the case. If we're honest, we have to recognize that everybody is constantly beset by sin. But there's hope. It's, it's not as though it's just, it's, it's, it's an end. we're done, there, there's, it's hopeless. It's not. If we confess our sins, God, Jesus, is faithful. And he will forgive our sins, kind of get us back on the road. To understand the way that John, and really the whole Bible, thinks about this, we have to acknowledge that there's a tension in our lives, where on the one hand, God's calling us to righteousness and goodness and holiness, and yet on the other hand, if we're honest with ourselves, we've got problems. And so how does the Bible kind of manage this tension? Well, one way we can think about it is to uh, take a look at the swing of golf legend Tiger Woods. Uh, You may not know this. Tiger Woods, of course, is a singular, unique, amazing player um, but one of the things that makes him so amazing is that uh, he, over the course of his career, is now in the middle of constructing his fifth swing. Now, what this means, I don't. I'm, I'm very bad at golf, uh, and so I only have one swing, which is not a great one. But Tiger has actually had four already in his career, and th- and other pros, they might break down their swing and bring it back and build it back up once. Maybe twice, but nobody in the history of the sport has done it the way Tiger has, and done it now up to five times. Why did he do that? Well, at different stages in his life, I mean, he's an obsessive competitor. At different stages of his life, he needed different things to be competitive on the course. So when he was younger, what he really needed mostly was control. Then when he got onto the tour, what he really needed was power. Power. And if you remember when he first uh, came onto the scene, that what blew people away was the length of his drives. He was untouchable. He was basically a happy Gilmore. And, in, and then later, other players adapted to that. And so what he needed then was uh, to, to be able to adjust to the injuries that he'd taken over the course of his career. Uh, now he's in the... Uh, apparently he's he's... Aging gracefully, what they say in Golf Digest. And so he's reconstructed his, his uh, swing so, to adapt for uh, the, la- the less muscle mass, essentially. And I guess now he's doing another one because he's insane. The Bible, uh, over the, the Testaments, kind of looks at holiness similarly. Holiness and righteousness are different. What you need for them are different at different ages and stages of your life. Okay? What we need when, like, what we're we're seeking, like, for example, for me, right? When I I was single, I noticed that I didn't have to worry about being responsible for anything. Like, I could just do whatever I wanted. And so that that aspect of my my character wasn't something that really needed work or focus because I had no responsibilities. But now, (laughs) marriage... uh, And children have taught me that in order to succeed, in order to be the person God's called me to be, I'm going to have to put myself second, third, fourth, sometimes fifth in order to do right by God and the people that God's put in my life. And so responsibility is something I've had to work on, develop, to to redo that aspect of righteousness in order to be the person God's called me to be. And to be fair, I'm, you know, work in progress. But like Tiger, God knows we're going to be beset by sin. And yet, at different stages, God's calling us to, to, to change and alter our character, to work on certain aspects of our holiness so that we can succeed, we can live the life God's called us to in this particular time and place. So that's the first thing in your note sheets. Nobody's perfect, but with Jesus we're making Progress. And the kind of progress you need to make right now is different than the kind of progress you needed five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, in John Mitchell's case, 130 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> the, man's still, the man's still holy, He's still working. So that's, that's kind of the, 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 that's chapter one. Of, of John. We looked at, and again, of course, you can go back and, and check out uh, those sermons. But let's move to chapter 2. Uh, okay, we're not perfect. We're making progress. How are we going to deal with the world? Well, here's a couple of, of of spots from 1 John 2. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Okay, uh, John kind of imagines the world uh, in terms of light and dark. Light is where Jesus is, where uh, the gospel is moving, where the, the community of faith is. The world outside is dark and getting darker in some cases. How do we respond? Well, we have a community of faith. Notice the, the, the familial language. Uh, John always, almost always talks about uh, the people of the church in, in familial terms. Children, brothers, sisters, fathers, uh, uh, parents, uh, young people. And he says it right here again. He says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been accounted on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, really you could say parents, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, really young people, because you have overcome the evil one. What we saw last year is that John's not talking to actual kids, not talking to actual parents, not talking to actual young people, young adults, these are like sort of spiritual categories uh, that the, the, the community of faith has in order to withstand the darkness of the world and how to advance the light within it. How does this work? Well, the first, spiritual children. Children, uh, if we know anything about them, they're simple. Children are not complicated. They, they don't, I mean, they start to get complicated right around what, age 10? That's when things start to get dicey. Ugh. More on that in a moment. Uh, children, children are, uh, they, they just, when they're younger, they just believe, they just trust. And it's a very simple kind of trust. Um, and, and, and John thinks that there are spiritual children in the church. People often very new to the faith sometimes, but even people who've been in the faith for a long time who just have a very simple, sincere, genuine trust. It's not, it's not complicated. It's not, and, and that type of spirituality uh, encourages and inspires the rest of the people around us. I mean, we look at that. We look at the people in this congregation who just believe who just, nothing phases them. They just trust that God's got it under control. And, and specifically, the simple stuff of the faith. Jesus has saved you from your sins. I mean, isn't that, does it really need to get much more complicated? So they're spiritual children, those, those who are simple in their faith. But then uh, John talks about parents. Parents uh, who, uh, John says, know, who, uh, know him who is from the beginning. Uh, parents in, this, in the church are, are the people who have a, have a very solid grasp of who God is and what God is like. They've known the one. They know in a very intimate and experiential way the one who is from the beginning. The one who is from—he's talking about Jesus. Jesus who, who pre-exists, or the Son, pre-exists all of, of, of creation. And so with spiritual parents, their job, because the world is dark and, it, and it's coming to attack us, their job is to protect us from falsehoods, from, from going off into the, into the darkness. That's their, they're, they're the protectors of the church. And uh, the reason probably that John uses the word you know, fathers instead of parents is because that's what we think of about dads. Or, we, you know, we used to. There's, a, uh, there's a, an organization that I heard about. It's Dad. Dads Against Daughters Dating. Yeah. I heard about it. I'm like, I would like to subscribe to your newsletter. <laughs> they have a tagline. And the tagline is, if you kill the first one, word will get around. <laughs> I, 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 didn't, I, I didn't invent that, Okay. I'm just saying that I heard that. I was like, huh. Because, I mean, you may not know this, but um, Alice, she's 10, and she is going to be the worst teenager in the world. She is going to be horrible. Um, She's been boy crazy since she was able to figure out what boys were. Um, The rule is she's not allowed to date until she's 18, um, but she's like secret dating like every boy in the class. is, I mean, I look at it, it's, it's cute right now. She's 10. But in a few years, it's going to be not cute. It's going to be horrifying. Because um, Alice, like many children, thinks she knows what she's doing. And me, as a man, in my 40s, know that she doesn't. And so it's going to be imperative for me to protect her, in some cases, from herself. She's going to want to walk off into places that I know are dark, that can hurt her. She's going to want to believe things that I know are lies. John sees this same same dynamic working in the community of faith. There are a lot of lies and a lot of people who are going to come in and try and divert us from the path of the light and it's incumbent on the parents, the spiritual parents in the church, to make sure that doesn't happen. And so you can think, maybe, maybe you are one of the spiritual parents. Maybe you're a spiritual child. Maybe you're, maybe you're the person with simple trust. Maybe you're the one who knows that I'm tasked with defending um, our place, our community. There's a third group. Did you notice that? Young people, it says young men, but really young people, you have overcome the evil one. There's a, there's, there's, so there's children, there's a, a parents, and then there's young people, like, you know, in the 20s, like from 18 to, to 35. That, that, that demographic has always been known for it being energetic, for having power, for fight. In fact, when we recruit for our military, Uh, We aim at 18 year olds, 17, 18 year olds. Uh, That's how they got Steve back in the day. Steve wanted to get out of, what's it called, Turlock? It's a sad small town uh, somewhere in California. And the Marines promised him the opportunity to see the world. And when you're 18, you don't know any better. Because when you're 18, you see the world and you don't recognize the danger, just quite quite yet, you feel like you're invincible, but you have this sense of duty, of justice, of like, I could be a part of something great. I could be a part of changing the world, making it a better place. Young people are the ones we rely on to fight. That picture is uh, Nicole G. She was from Sacramento. She was 23 uh, last year um, during the Afghanistan withdrawal. Two days before she was uh, blown up by a suicide bomber, uh, she took this picture, had this picture taken of her, and uh, she put it on her Instagram with with the, the caption, I love my job. She was uh, at the airport, um, taking care of um, orphans, or about to be orphans, um, protecting them to make sure that they got on the planes and got out of country before uh, the Taliban uh, took over. And though um, she's passed from this life, uh, she is a hero, um, as many have uh, given their lives in untold, uncountable ways. Uh, over the course of this country's um, existence. But that uh, picture, that iconic photo of her holding this baby, that's where you look at like this girl, even though she didn't make it, she overcame the evil one. Where there was evil, she stood in the gap. And she went out and she spread the light. Similarly, the church needs people who are young at heart. It doesn't matter if you're 70, it doesn't matter if you're 20, it doesn't matter if you're 15 or 8. There are people who, who God has set in our hearts the, the desire for justice, to see the enemy pushed back, to, to care for the orphans and the widows, to, to go out and stop sex trafficking in this country. People who look at where, the, where Satan has dominion and say, I'm going to go and I want in the power of the Spirit to pierce the darkness so that the light can reign again. And maybe that's you. The point is, is that in this world of light and dark, in chapter 2, John tells us that, that a family of faith A family of of spiritual children with their simple trust, of parents with their desire to protect and guard, and of young people who are willing to go and fight and overcome the evil one. That's the family that we've been set together. That's us. That's who we are. And all of us need to identify with at least one of these characters and possibly think we really should be all of them in some sense. Second thing in your note sheets, the world is dark, but we are a family of light. Now let's take a look um, at chapter 3. We're not quite finished with chapter 3, but this is a snapshot of chapter 3 so far. Dear friends, now we are children of God. Notice again the family language. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This is 1 John 3, 2. Um, And it, it, it tells us that when we gaze upon the glorified Lord, we will be fully transformed, glorified into his image. But in the meantime, while we're waiting, okay, we know what we're supposed to do with respect to the world out there. What are we supposed to do with respect to ourselves in here? Uh, John says this, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our, down our lives for our brothers and sisters in the community of faith. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and truth. It's easy to say, I love you. It's harder to make it known. At the end of the school year, uh, last year, our, our uh, beloved friends at Stony Brook um, uh, Tracy Cargill, uh, the, the other sixth-grade teacher, uh, Pastor Doug is one of the sixth-grade teachers, and Tracy Cargill is his, like, uh, what do we call it, her, your work wife? Yeah. Um, she, her husband, John, I have a picture of him, went swimming and disappeared and has not been found. Now, when this happened, I don't know Tracy that well. I like her, she's a nice person, but I don't know her well enough to, all I know is that I felt bad, and, but I didn't know if there was anything I could do, I mean, there wasn't really, what do you do? Well, there are people who are really good at this, Um, and I I saw this in action, Uh, and and Doug and some other teachers, they went and they basically stayed up with her like all night, brought her coffee, just sat with her, you know, didn't, uh, what do you say in a situation like that, just with, just be with. But well, one of the things I was I thought was I was just gobsmacked. Um, one of the, the the tech teacher the the tech guy at Stony Brook. What is he? No, he's the information. Kevin Garibaldi. What's his job? It director. It director. Okay, Kevin. I was Kevin Garibaldi. He like comes into the office because he the guy cannot stop talking. He just loves to talk, and he's found that I don't really do anything during the day, and so he'll just. So he came in. Uh, we were we were talking and. Um, he was looking at like this thing. I was like, what is it?" He was like, well, every night when I get off work, I go down uh, to the beach where John got lost, and I fly a drone over the water to see if I can find his body. I was like, well, Kevin, why are you doing that? I mean, I don't know if we're going to find that. He's like, well, it's important. Without a death certificate, you know, Tracy doesn't have any... Of life insurance, anything like that, She's, and if, if, I can, if I can find it, we can really help her out. And I was like, man, here's a guy, and Doug too, just a bunch of different teachers and, and volunteers and people who, in, in a situation where there's nothing you can do, found ways to love in action and in truth. My understanding is that uh, Tracy went on a vacation that they had planned as a family uh, to Hawaii. And one thing I know for certain is that she has been surrounded by people who say, I love you, but then back it up so that she knows 100% that her community of faith has got her, that she won't be left behind, that she will be held up. And I encourage us, and John encourages us. He's saying, he's saying, hey, look, guys, I know that it's, it, we're waiting for Jesus to come and, and, and to be transformed. But in the meantime, when we've got the world coming at us, when there's darkness outside these doors, the way that we're going to operate, we're going to operate in, in love that's, that's experienced in action and truth. This the last thing in your note sheets. We will be glorified, but till, until then, love and action and truth, not just words. In fact, in a lot of cases... Just shut up. Where do we go from here? Well, the, the, the trajectory that we're on is that, that John's like, okay, we know that there's sin. We know that we're progressing in fits and starts. Let's have grace for each other. We have to. We know that the the world is dark and and in order to protect against it, God set up this special family with with children and parents and young adults, these spiritual warriors, spiritual believers, spiritual protectors of truth and faith. Together we're going to form like this little bunker and then we're going to send out um, our spiritual warriors are going to go defeat the enemy in his own territory and claim it for the light. And while all of this is happening, if we're to function as a community, as a, if we're going to function as a true people of faith, we have to show our love for each other. And the next thing that John is going to do very soon is he's going to explain love in a world-changing, history-changing way. And so come back in the next few weeks, and we're going to see what he does. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you so much for this community of faith. We thank you for VBS and little lives that were given to you. We thank you for a place of spiritual children and spiritual parents and spiritual young adults. A bulwark against the darkness of the world and an assault against it, claiming it for the light. God, may we be a people who love and May we find ways to show our concern, our care and love for each other, not just words, but then when, when anyone is about to fall through the cracks or get lost, they will claim them in action and in truth. Lord Jesus, we praise you for the gift of your life. We look forward to exploring your love again. In your name we pray, amen.